That cave was a bit of a dead end place to hide, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, <laughs> you don't exactly have a line of retreat when you're in a cave. Yeah. Like, like what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly. Run away to the the other end of the cave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of done. All right. Let's go to our text messages. Let's see what we've got over here. Uh, A friend of mine, oh no, read that one already. Uh, Don't know about you, but the government seems to be very inflexible in the vaccination issue, 80%, then maybe 90%, double vax, then triple, then four, then five, then 10. (laughs) I mean, probably exaggerating a bit there, but who knows? You know, they they have talked, it has been talked about. I'm going for my 10th shot tomorrow. There you go. I was just joking. I was joking. (laughs) Let me see here. And, and, And just commenting on that up to this point, What's interesting, what I'm finding and what I'm – is that, you know, basically in New South Wales and Victoria we have the most draconian uh, vaccination mandates that I've seen anywhere in the world, uh, apart from maybe New Zealand. Mm. And so it's interesting to see that, you know, we're like light years ahead of the rest of the world as far as uh, being draconian on this particular issue, which is – not the kind of thing that you typically typically expect for Australia. But anyway. Dude, I was talking to one of my Canadian friends who, like, isn't connected to the church or anything. Like, yeah. one of my secular friends. He's like, um, and he's like, yeah, dude, heard on the news about the whole 10K thing, 5K thing. That is that is wild. Like, he comes from Canada as well, uh-huh. which isn't necessarily, like, the most liberal country no, either. No, not at all. Like, and it's just like, the, everyone's looking to Australia as just the most gnarly Yes. COVID place. No, I They're don't like, know. Maybe maybe somebody can educate me, but is there anywhere other than New Zealand that is more draconian than Australia when it comes yeah, to vaccinations? Literally, my friend was like, oh, so how, how's living in jail? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I mean, this is, I'll, I'll read you this. This, this is. I was going to read this earlier. Let me just see if I can find this. This is what the uh, Deputy Director of the uh, Fair Work Commission said. Blanket rules such as mandating vaccinations for everyone across a whole professional industry, regardless of the actual risk, fail the tests of proportionality, necessity, and reasonableness. It is more than the absolute... It, it is more than the absolute minimum necessary to combat the crisis and cannot be justified on health grounds. It is a lazy and fundamentally flawed approach to risk management and should be soundly rejected wow. by courts when challenged. Dude, isn't it good to hear experts that's, say... Yeah, that's, that's, that, that is like an absolute tearing apart of... That's Lyndall Dean, uh, Deputy Director of uh, Fair Work... In Australia, do we have any text messages in regards to the story you shared about that? Because well, this that one was I think. In... Oh no, this was. Anyway, let me keep reading this one. <laughs> I got halfway through it and got sidetracked. <laughs> uh, you do appreciate that once eighty percent is reached, the twenty percent are going to be discriminated by the eighty percent. Well, I would hope that that would not be the case. Lawson, I would hope that as yeah. a vaccinated person that you do not discriminate against unvaccinated people. However, I do see the reality being that. This will happen from time to time, and it is not morally appropriate any time mm. that it does, mm. even in church. Yeah, any church. Yeah, I heard Don't this. I heard this story yesterday, <laughs> where you know a person turned up to church, and of course, you know, as with most churches, you got the table at the front. It's got your uh, your hand washing stuff, your masks, your sign in code, all that kind of thing, mm. and you know the sign up that says you got to you know wear a mask to enter the church. So they've done their due due diligence. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, you know, the person walks in without a mask on and refuses to have a mask. No questions are asked about whether the person uh, has a medical exemption from the mask or anything like that. They're just booted out. Wow. And I think this is just morally reprehensible that we boot anyone out of church for Mm -hmm. any reason. 
Church is there for everybody. Mm. This is just this is just terrible. You know, we do we 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 put up our signs and we we make everything available and we make our position clear. And, but we don't go booting people out. Yeah. Anyway, that's right. Uh, it's going to be a very sad day. I don't think for a moment that even if non-vaccinated people may be allowed to go to church, they won't be discriminated. Okay, so, you know, I understand that this person is making some prophecies here. It is a little bit glass half empty rather than glass half full, Yeah, I think. Well, because it's, you know... I'm a realist. I know there will be cases of discrimination because I just told a story where that happened. But at the same time, like, I'm vaccinated... And I'm not going to discriminate against. Yeah, you're going to stand there. You're going to stand there at the at the door of your church and say, "Show me your passport before you enter in." No, I want people to come. I'm going to be like, <laughs> they're going to be like, just I have, come. I have, they're going to be like, I have COVID, and I'm like, come in here. Don't don't sue me, no. bro. <laughs> uh, no buy or sell will follow very quickly. We're told that things will get progressively worse, not better. That's what the Bible says. Mm. Um, the timing of it, we are not told. Yeah, that's right. But the Bible does say these things will happen. Jesus said, do not be deceived. He said it three times. That should tell us something. Uh, Gordon Peterson, it seems that he takes all the benefits but rejects the giver of the benefits, our Lord Jesus oh, wow. Christ. This is an interesting comment. I, I think he's actually on the money there because he's figured out that the best way to live his life is uh, by following Christianity without, you know, even being a professed believer in Christ. Yeah, there are so many people who come to that conclusion. Yeah, it's just the best way to live. Yeah. I, I think because of Jordan Peterson, a lot more people, it's like become a little bit more mainstream. You know, this idea of like, oh, yeah, like uh, the, the, the phrase Judeo-Christian morality, like just is simply the the best way to live and that that's like yeah very it's like the the constant callback that jordan peterson and ben shapiro all those guys like oh but today christian morality it's given us everything it's given us freedom da, 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 da. they're like they just recognize people are recognizing like oh it's so clear that this is a good thing okay uh da, 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 but uh, let me see here if you reject me you reject the father who sent me if you're ashamed of me i'll be ashamed of you and will have no part with me and the Father, God loves him, uh, but it's a two-way street. Hope that the Holy Spirit will reach him and change yeah, his heart. that's so true. Okay, mm. what else we got here? Um, amen for regarding churches being reopened for the unvaccinated at 80%. That's from uh, Braden, who also says we have someone at our church that does not agree with the sign-ins. Uh, thankfully, my church did not kick him out. Praise God. <laughs> this is the thing with church, guys. This is, this is what the... This is what people don't get. Church is for everybody. We have open doors. We are not here mm. to discriminate. Mm. You know, okay, yes, if you're ill, then don't come. Yeah. We get that. That has always been the case, and that's a biblical principle right there. But Dude, totally. Um, yeah. All right. Interesting. I've heard a number of stories as well, just like, you know, people amongst that crowd being, you know, coming to church and being like, okay, I'm not going to wear a mask and, and whatnot. And, uh, like, at the same time, like, in the, just from a, a realistic perspective, it can be a little bit awkward. Like, oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think of of our situation, right? Um, at the uni, like we we are like mandated by strict policies at the uni, and so we kind of 
We, we're not at, gonna, the very, at the very least, you could say, look, are you prepared to put a mask in your pocket and put it on if, uh, if required to do so if somebody definitely. turns up? You know, I also think of it from the uh, perspective of seekers. I'm like, hey, if seekers are coming along, are they going to think that we're, like, recklessly breaking? No, because you've got the table there, you've got the sign up, you've got your policy that, clearly stated. But that's the thing is that, you know, I think what is necessary in all of these situations is communication. Absolutely. People just need to talk to each other. People need to, yes. to need to really just let people yes. know, okay, this is where I'm coming from. This is where I'm at. At the same time, like, should we just go hard at people about our opinions and our views? Probably not. But to have some things of like, okay, no, I'm doing this for this reason. And people can come to agreements and we can move forward. Like, yeah. definitely the best way. Uh, very challenging times that we are all trying to negotiate at this particular time and negotiate them to the glory of God and Amen. to the furtherance of his work. May we all do our best. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so let's get into our Bible study. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And Lawson, why don't you read for us verse, uh, let me just see here the verses that we are reading, verse 16 and 17. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Okay, and while we're turning there, who discovered discovered gravity? Apple fell on his head. Uh, Isaac Newton. Yes. No. Isn't that him? Yes. Yeah, what? What, what? It, was, it was Isaac Newton who may have had an apple fall in his head, but we all knew about gravity long before Isaac Newton came along because we learned about it when we were a kid and we fell over. <laughs> That's a, like yeah, but he came up with the uh, with the with the with the concept of gravity, mm-hmm. and uh, on the basis of that, was able to understand how that the moon orbits around the Earth and the Earth orbits around the sun and how gravity works. Now, what was revolutionary about this? And he was the he was. By the way, the uh, the most influential scientist who has ever lived. Mm. Uh, not only that, he was somebody who was who, who believed the Bible and wrote more about the Bible than he did, did about science, and wow. spent more time researching the Bible than he spent researching science. He only he stopped being a scientist at something like the age of thirty. Yeah, well, all of his scientific you know things uh, happened before he was like thirty years old. Yeah, and then he's like, yeah, you know what? It's just actually more fulfilling to study the Bible because there's a whole lot more there to be discovered. Dude, so true. Interesting guy. He's the Johnny Cash of the science world. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And uh, But did come up with some rather unique ideas about the Bible, but nevertheless, he was a keen student. Mm. Now, if we continue on with this story, what, what rocked the world with his discovery of the concept of gravity was that up until this particular point, scientists had believed that the laws of nature only applied on Earth. Mm. And now it was discovered that there was natural law that applied throughout the universe. Yeah, wow. Because the law of gravity, which is natural law, applies throughout the universe. And it's the same with the law of God. And this is, this is the great thing about the law of God and your Ten Commandments. You know, you can you can read through, you know, uh, the, the 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 laws of New South Wales or Vax laws or whatever it might be, and they only apply to New South Wales. That's right. But when it comes to natural law, which of course is the law of nature, which is what God has created, the mm. things that the laws that God have created are throughout the universe. Yeah. And when it comes to moral law, which is also the laws that God have created, 
It applies throughout the universe as well. Mm. We're going to see how these principles work, particularly in relationship to the law of love, as we read these verses right here. Why don't you read for us Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17? Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Is that verse 17? Oh, oh, and verse 17. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. Okay, what's, what's God doing here, and what does this tell us about the law of love? Well, he's giving a restriction. Okay. In the midst of great liberty. Okay. Mm. All right, because you can only have a restriction if you have freedom. Yes. That's the simple reality of what you have introduced in Genesis chapter 2, almost at the very beginning. Well, in fact, this is the very beginning. This is the day that Adam is created. Mm. He's given a restriction, which demonstrates that he has freedom, Mm. total freedom. Now, why is it that God has given Adam total freedom. Isn't it a bit unloving to give him freedom when that freedom can bring him unstuck? Isn't it a bit unloving to give him that uh, that restriction? You know, I mean, he's just been created. He's perfect. Mm. What does he need a restriction for? Mm. Why not just, you know, let him be his perfect self? Well, I think, like, um, many parents, when their children are born, yes. they're like, it's perfect. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. And then the baby like throws up all over itself and it's like, okay. <laughs> and then and then the baby turns two and it draws on the wall with marker. Okay, let me, it... <laughs> let me let me let me let me uh let me go a step further. Mm. Because I've had I've been in this situation. Yeah. And recently returned to it as a grandfather, but when a baby is born, where do you put that baby? Uh to sleep. <laughs> in what? Uh a cot. A cot. Yeah. Yes. Why do you put it in a cot? Oh, because there's like bars on the outside. Exactly. Why are there bars on the outside? Yeah, and it can chew the bars and get lead poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) No, because you don't want it to fall out. Yeah. So the very first thing that you do with a newborn Mm. is create restrictions. Yeah. Holding that newborn is a restriction. Mm. Putting in a cot is restriction. Putting in a crib is a restriction. These are all restrictions. The newborn is born perfect and we give it restrictions. Why do we give it restrictions? Because it has freedom. Mm. And we're worried that that freedom will hurt it. Why does God give Adam restrictions? Because he is free and God is worried that that freedom will hurt him. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, think about then... uh, why give him that freedom in the first place? If that freedom has the potential of hurting him, why give it to him? Because without that freedom, like the, the simple reality is that love can't exist. That's right. They can't love each other. They can't have a relationship if there's no mm-hmm. freedom. Mm. Absolutely. So the very first thing you find on the on on day one of creation of humanity, you find that what God is doing is create is is demonstrating that. The rule of love is universal. It works in heaven. It works Mm. on earth. It works throughout the universe. It is perfect. And that humanity can only be perfect if they are able to experience freedom of choice. Yeah, wow. 
Mm. All right, Genesis chapter 3, uh, why don't you read for us the first th- first seven verses, please. Genesis the first three, seven verses, first seven verses of verses, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did you really say you must eat of the fruit from any tree? He, uh, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the, wom- the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruits looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom um, She wanted the wisdom uh, it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Mm, So going on your previous story, she was clearly a millennial. Why is that? Because millennials are keen to try all kinds of different foods. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right, fair enough. (laughs) No. Um, When you look at this particular story right here, Do they have freedom of choice? Yeah. Do they have absolute freedom of Mm -hmm. choice? Is God standing in their way? Nope. Not at all. Uh, What happens then? You know, because the government of God is a government of love. How does God respond to them exercising their freedom of choice? Well, you know the rest of the story. Summarize it for us. Oh, the rest of the story is that God comes in and essentially... You know, he tries to find them. He tries he's looking for them. He lo- he's, he's calling like, out to you? them, and they're you know hiding. trying to hide from God, which is a bit <laughs> wild. But they're trying. Um, but ultimately, this leads to the, this conversation that they have, where God essentially announces, "Like you guys have decided to walk away from me." Um, and obviously, they would have known this intuitively, like what they had been through. They're trying to hide from God, and God's like, "Hey, well, you've just plunged the human race into sin." Satan is here to stay. I have a plan going forward, but th- this is your life now. Life will be difficult. Life will be hard. It's it's just simply this, like, you know, God says that they're going to die, and it's interesting that they don't die as soon as they eat the fruit. Um, but what do you think happens when you cut yourself off from the creator of the world? You know, what happens when you pull a light, a light bulb out of the socket? Like, ultimately, they've made their decision. They've gone, okay, we don't want God in our lives anymore. We've eaten the fruit, and um, that's they're receiving the consequences for it. Yeah, it's pretty full-on stuff. And what it does show is that God never – I mean, when, when, the, the thing that highlights to me more than anything else is that God never stops loving them. Mm. Right here in the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning, it is all about the love of God. He gives them the power of choice. When they exercise it the wrong way, he still loves them. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Text messages, Steve. We do. Um, I'm just wondering whether the person who sent this text message is going to have a quick read through it, and um, it seems to, it's grammatically hard to read, So, and I'm not sure exactly whether I'm going to get the correct interpretation of the text message. I'm wondering whether I can have a quick edit of that one and uh, send it through again. Yeah, epic. Yeah. Get the, get, 
get it lined. So I, so I, I, I don't want to misrepresent what this person is totally. saying. Totally. Mm. Yeah. That's right. All right, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 6 now, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. So going back to where we were, because what we're looking at is that right from the very, very beginning of the Bible, God is proclaiming that he's a God of love. Yes. That is the principle, that is the overruling principle that rules everything. Mm. And in this proclamation, he, he, he begins by proclaiming, you know, when he comes to Adam, Adam and puts a restriction on Adam. The moment that he puts a restriction on Adam, he has demonstrated that Adam has the power of choice. Yes. Restrictions are irrelevant where there is no power of choice. Mm. And oh, so he totally such that well, that's a really good point. I just I just want to say I think that is a really, really good point. Praise the Lord. I I, I yeah, I I just continue. Continue. It clicks. <laughs> The light bulb goes no, on. No, no, I was yeah, no, it about, is. like different moral arguments that people make, like for and against God and how he's loving and whatnot. Like, I, I feel like, you know, you can just say the words over and over again. Oh, I give this freedom. Da, da, da. But what, it's the evidence of that that we see within the text is by him giving them a restriction. Yes. Which is, I think, you know, is, is a really valuable piece of evidence that can argue the point that God gives us free will. Absolutely. Mm. And this is why the Ten Commandments are described as a law of love. Mm. They are described as a transcript of the character of God because they're giving restrictions. They are demonstrating that we have free will. Yeah, wow. The clearest demonstration that there is that we have free will is the fact that there are restrictions. Mm. And so this begins at the very beginning. Then, Then we have the story where we exercise that free will in a really negative way, bring sin into the world, bring the condemnation of death upon ourselves. We've stuffed everything up. We have uh, destroyed ourselves and God steps in and says, uh, you know what? I can't handle this, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to die for you. I'm wow. going to die in your place. Mm. You know, Right there in the very next chapter. You know, And so not only does God give humanity freedom of choice, but God then says, I'm prepared to die for humanity. He'll take the consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This stuff is off the wall how much we have uh, a demonstration of the love of God. Now let's go over to uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Mm. And let's see how did humanity get on after the fall? What did human nature do to humanity? And how did we respond to this unimaginable love that God extended towards humanity, which he could have, he could have gone, you know what, there's only two human beings Let's not let this thing spread any further. Let's just start over. Yeah, totally. Nuke the place, spend another seven days, recreate it. And he could honestly make the point that he's morally just in doing that because it's, he's just giving them the consequences of their actions. Yes, but I challenge any parent who's got a newborn child to just say, ah, you know what, I don't want this child. I'm just That's right. That's where you see the compassion and the That's love right. of God. Just mm. can't. Just can't. Mm. And, and why? Because of love. Mm. If love didn't exist, you'd do it all the time. Yeah, totally. And then we get to verse 5 here in Genesis mm. chapter 6. He's done something so incredible, so amazing. And the hum- and, and this human response. Human, human response, response right, right here. here. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or even imagined was consistently and totally evil. Consistently and only totally evil all the time. Yeah, well. This is the point that our world has reached. And... Fortunately, there were a few people left who were still faithful to God, Noah being one of them. The Bible says mm. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so we have the story of the flood. And in essence, God comes to the point where it's like, okay, if, if I just let this thing continue, you know, once Noah and his family die off, that's it. 
it's over and I have don't have the opportunity to redeem the human race. So mm. let's try a fresh start. Mm. You can't do much more, anything much more dramatic than to flood the world. Yeah. That would be, you know, very, very difficult to imagine. Mm. And so God does flood the world and God does destroy the world and we have that whole story of how that takes place. And then you've got the world who comes out the other side of the flood. Now, they had very good uh, demonstrations of the power of God before the flood because they could go to Eden, they could go to the gates of the Garden of Eden and they could see the angel right there at the gates of the Garden of Eden and they could look into the garden. Mm. And so you didn't have people who were atheists. It was impossible. That was impossible. Mm. After the flood, you didn't have people who were atheists. Mm. That was impossible because the flood had just happened. You didn't have people who denied the flood. Yeah. You know, you didn't have people who came along and said, oh, no, the world is billions and billions of years old and that's why we have all of these, you know, landforms around us and that's why we have, that's why every landform on the planet is created by the movement of water and that's why, you know, the whole, the whole planet is covered by a layer of sediment is because of millions and millions of years. <laughs> no, they say we know why every landform was created by water and that the whole planet is covered by a layer of sediment. That is because we just had a flood. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they decide to build the tower. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11 and read there beginning in verse 9. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 9, the Bible says, That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages in the way he scattered them all over the world. Ah, uh, sorry, verse starting in verse 1. Starting in verse 1, it says... 2-9. Uh, yeah, verse 1 to 9, it says... At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylon and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In the region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves and a tower that even reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down and looked at the city and the tower of the people and the building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down, confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is the, That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the different languages. Um, in this way, he scattered them all over the world. Okay, so interesting here, the very first thing they do after the flood is because they believe in God, they build a tower. Mm. That's why they built it, mm. because they believe in God. Mm. If they didn't believe in God, why would they build a tower? They don't need a tower. Why would Why would the world be flooded again? But because they know that God exists and they know that God flooded the world and they want to rebel against God, they're like, okay, we're going to rebel against God here. How do we go about surviving our rebellion against God? Well, you know, last time God flooded the world, so if we're going to rebel, just in case he does the same thing again, we need to have a tower. Yeah, wow. And this isn't legend for them at that time as well. They can talk to the people who are on the boat. Yes. Like They're like, oh, yeah, God flooded the world. <laughs> That's right. They can go and talk to and have a personal interview with Noah himself and his sons and get a first-hand account. God is demonstrating his love because God doesn't destroy the whole world and he keeps the human race going so that he can die for the human race and bring salvation to humanity. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM.
positively different. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we go into question of the day, we have. Uh, I'm just going to. I don't have time, but I'll, I'll briefly cover a couple of uh, points that have come through on the text message. And one of them is that, okay, in Australia we have higher safety regulations across the board than any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. And so why should it surprise us that we have higher safety regulations in relationship to COVID? So that's an interesting point. I'll take that. You know, I've worked in the United States and the safety regulations over there, say, for instance, in the building industry are non-existent compared to what we have here in this country. You know, you're two stories up standing on a plank board with no harness, no fence, no scaffolding, no nothing, just a plank board that's sitting on two ladders. You would not get away with that in Australia. Dude, you would be literally like the foreman would be thrown in jail. Yeah, whereas in the United States, that's standard practice that everybody does. So that's a really valid point. Mm. I, and I think uh, one person was making that point there. Um, another person wanted to make the point that minority groups throughout history have been discriminated against. So will be the 20% unvaccinated. I'm thinking it's going to actually be about, my prediction is 8% unvaccinated, mm. but I could be wrong. Uh, many families are divided on this issue. <laughs> People have been divorced over this in the last couple of months, mm-hmm. which is just horrific. If it happens between families, what will happen in the world? Okay, so those are uh, a couple of messages that uh, we had, but we did have a question that came through yesterday, a very important one that we need to get into, so let's do it. Question of the day. So essentially, Lyle, we are having a chat yesterday. We are talking about pets and dogs and my dog and how it likes getting sprayed with the hose and whatnot. And we had a text message come through that was essentially, hey, what's the deal with pets in heaven? You know, particularly because there are many more animals in the world than there are humans. Yes. And if all of them die and go to heaven, then are we going to be like tripping over them? Are we going to be, well, yeah, what's the deal with that? Okay. So the uh, verse that says that animals will be resurrected is not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's found nowhere in the Bible. Uh, so this is this is an interesting question, and in relationship to pets and in relationships to animals, this is this is what we have from the Bible. We have silence, mm. and so because we have silence, I can't speak one way or the other way. I can't say that you know God will uh, resurrect our pets and restore them to us or not. The Bible is silent on this issue. I will say this. I'll make a couple of observations. First of all, does God have the power to do so? Yeah. If he if he desires to resurrect a, an animal that has passed away, does he have the power to do so? Mm. He does. We can't restrict him from that. Therefore, is there the possibility that he could resurrect our pets? Yep. That we love. Yes. Does God care for us? Mm. Do, does he take special notice of the things that we are very close to and that are special in our lives? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, and so we understand, you know, we look at what the Bible says, and the Bible says, you know, God is going to build us a mansion in heaven. The Bible says that God is going to give us a rural property in heaven. The Bible, you know, talks about a lot of things that God is going to give to us in heaven. And so is there the possibility? Absolutely, there's a possibility. I can't say that God won't resurrect your pet. I can't say that he will. What I can say is that when you get to heaven, you are going to be 100% happy with what you receive. That is so true. Mm. The other thing that I can say 100% is that in heaven we will have pets. Yes. Pets are great. You know, they're an important part of our life. Some people love to have birds. Some people love to have snakes. Some people love to have dogs. Some people have cats. Uh, 
<laughs> so, some people have rats and mice, you know. People have all kinds of different pets, and that's fantastic. That's amazing. Um, and so we should. Now, if you read what the Bible says, the Bible says that in heaven we will definitely have pets and that our avenue for pets will be far expanded above what it is right now. In fact, if I could click over here very quickly to the book of Isaiah, let me read this passage for you in Isaiah um, chapter 65 and verse 25. It says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. Dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Great verse right here. And it kind of reminds me of when my dog eventually made friends with our chickens and they would sleep together on the front porch. It was just a great thing to see in them all sort of laying out there and hanging out together. Uh, and, and a foretaste of heaven when you see those kind of things taking place. But generally speaking, we don't see that here on this earth. But that's what it will be like in heaven. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.